0: This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn up to 4.33% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Interactive Brokers' prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay out higher interest rates. That's just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers' to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. Rates subject to change. Visit ibkr.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. The banking crisis is not over. No surprise here. Earnings for mega names coming in better than expected. Stocks are zooming. Sinkhole alert. What does that even mean? and a conversation about money supply. All this and much more on episode number 814 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. A big hello to May, (laughs) Not the person, the month. Yeah, you've heard of it. It's that old phrase that we've all heard so many times. And every time we get to this point in the year, you know, it's all about selling May and blah, 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 go away. But you have to wonder, does that actually have any meaning these days? And where does it even come from? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what I think. Hey, by the way, I'm Andrew Horowitz. Thanks for joining me in this conversation. You can always join in or ask questions or communicate. Just drop your ask over at TDI, the Discipline investor.com. Press the contact or ask Andrew button. And I appreciate it. I really do. I appreciate when you send me your your thoughts, your criticisms, your uh, ideas, questions, all that. So definitely make use of that. I think that's something that could be very helpful for you and. Get the conversation going. The combo, get the combo going. So now to this idea, this idea of of selling May and going away. I think the first thing that's important to recognize when we think about that and all the other ones, right? The you know Santa Claus rally, or so goes, you know as goes January, so goes the year. Is the idea that oftentimes these patterns. Once they're recognized, they don't seem to work anymore, odd as that may seem. I mean, when I say once it's recognized, not you know the first time that someone out there recognizes something and does investing, utilizing certain seasonality factors. I'm talking about when the masses, when everybody knows selling may go away, does that really even work anymore? And most of the time, no, it it doesn't. It really doesn't. And I've seen several patterns in my day that, have worked for a bit, but all of a sudden, when they have come out and everybody knows about them, somehow it's just it's over kaput, finished, delete, don't go back, don't think about it because it's just not gonna work so now where where does this even come from? This particular phrase is sell in may and go away. My opinion seems like it was back in the good old days, you know. I remember a time in New York when the sun started shining a little bit stronger. Winter was over. We're getting into the spring. We're getting towards the summer. Everybody gets a different attitude. Diets start because they want to look good for the summer on the beach, and people are starting to talk about barbecues again and get everything ready for the summer. And that was a time that all of a sudden there was a shift from, all right, I'm in the office. I'm going to work. Who cares? There's nothing else to do anyway, to Hey, what do you think about taking Friday afternoon off? And not only Friday afternoon, Friday afternoons off for the next few months. And there was traders in Chicago and New York and other places around the world, uh particular well, in the US that is, but around the world. But in the US that that well, basically said summer's coming. Summer's coming and we got we got we got to get that Hampton share all set and get out to the beaches and get things going, get those Those passes for parking and slowly trading volumes dried up as summer was upon us. You remember those days? Does that ring a bell to anybody? Maybe somebody who lives in Texas didn't really have that same thing. But if you're in the upper northeast or Midwest up north, these are things that actually happened. And traders were pretty much thrown in the towel. And the only way to trade back then was through brokers. And what would happen is if we progressed through the season, slowly but surely, trading volumes dried up. People weren't trading anymore. Brokers weren't available. Investor says, the hell with it. The brokers aren't available. I, you know, I've seen this kind of uh, lull in the summer. Let's just wait until after after Labor Day passes, right? So Memorial Day, give or take, starts it, the 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 move towards it's summer. But before that, people are getting prepped and they're getting anxious, so it starts in May. It progresses. Memorial Day's here. Hey, summer's here. I get to put on my whites. Let's go do our thing. Forget about markets. Who cares? And then we get through the summer. Memorial Day to Labor Day. Labor Day happens. And here we are. All of a sudden, volumes pick up again after they just really dried up. And what happened was when we have that, dro- that, that, that drop in volume, that significant um, reduction in overall volume of stocks well yeah volatility really moved in so it was this private signal that approved this slowdown right and uh, i could tell you it's exactly what happened back in the days in the 70s and 80s in new york in particular i remember it i remember it very clearly this is not something that's just theory it happened and there was something to it there was there was something to it but today i'm not quite sure you know, perhaps maybe a little bit volumes will slow up a bit in the summer and selling May was coined when this trading was maybe done on the telephone, on paper. As I told you, you could only do trades before through brokers. Not the same situation anymore. Very much different. Because what we have now is the availability for you to be sitting on a beach in the summer in your Hampton share and trading all day long. So the days when people had to be sitting on their porch in summer homes in Anywhereville, trading on their phones, calling up their brokers, volume not comparable to what's today by any stretch. And if it was the case, then the volatility drop, if we can compare then to now, is not comparable. Therefore, I think, unless there's the random all-of-a-sudden change to a summertime situation, probably prompted by, who knows, maybe a banking crisis? Hello? I don't think it's the same thing. I don't think the usual tendency for markets on the sell and may go away are still there. It sounds great with these TV talking heads to talk about it and to go through all this. That's great. But I just think it's something that's really not necessarily uh, – something that really happens in the pattern is – is, is definitely not there for the same reasons now again there could be something else that pops up and and goes on but right now what's happening is that we are uh I think beyond that let's talk about something else I think is more important right now. Let's talk about the hot topic the thing that has been really getting a lot of uh a lot of press a lot of time time on the airways and let's go through this drop in M2 money supply. We got to talk about this because everybody's starting to talk about it. It's all over Twitter, it's everywhere. You know, you start to see them talking about it on the various TV shows. So we're talking about money money supply. But before we do that, I want to talk about some smart ways to manage your money. And I'm talking about interactive brokers because they let you manage all your finances in one account. You could earn interest in up to 4.3% So that's unbelievable, right? Earn interest up to um, 4.33% on instantly available cash balances or even borrow starting at 5.33%. What's even more, and this is where the smart money comes in, you can make purchases or ATM withdrawals at millions of locations with the IBKR Debit MasterCard and link it to your smartphone for contact-free purchases. You can also deposit checks Anywhere with their mobile app or sign up for the automatic payroll deposit. And with bill pay, pay any company or individual in the U.S. by electronic check. Plus, you need to know uh, that your broker is secure, right? And can endure through the the good and the bad times. That makes sense. Well, IBKR's prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you higher interest with demonstrated security, and financial strength. Take control of your finances. Switch to interactive brokers today and experience the smarter way to manage your money. Learn more at ibkr.com slash money. Member SIPC. So we're talking about money. We're talking about the money supply. We're talking about smart things to understand and to know about, right? So what is this all about? All this rage and discussion about the drop in M2. And what is, what is is M2 anyway? Let's maybe start there. Let's get a working definition for those of you that don't know what the M2 money supply is. That's reported by the Fed. Um, here's the from-the-book definition. M2 is a measure of the U.S. money stock, in other words, the, the money, that includes M1, which is currency and coins, held by the non-bank public, Checkable deposits, traveler's checks, et cetera. I don't know who has traveler's checks anymore, but okay, that's in the in the definition. Plus savings deposits, including money market deposit accounts, small-time deposits under 100000 and shares, this is important, in retail money market funds, money market mutual funds. So basically what this is is a, a, an attempt to understand and to gather the amount of cash that is out there And the reason for that is that if you think about the money, and let's just strip this down, in in just savings accounts, what you have is the amount of money that people have as a cushion available to spend. And when you have times of stimulus, you have a lot more of that. The Fed could actually, through its processes, increase or decrease the money supply. And by doing so, right, so if you have... High interest rates, it may increase the money supply in money markets, et cetera. If you have low interest rates, they may push that out into some other places. But what that really is the bigger question here is how much money is available and in circulation for spending that will impact an economy. The spendable money, the accessible, ready-to-grab money that you can go and utilize in the economy. And that is important when it's moving higher, is very important to understand because when they're flushing money and they're they're liquefying the markets and pushing money into savings by the measures that the Fed does that float down into your actual accounts in general, that is expansionary. On the other hand, when interest rates start to rise and there's less money in these various instruments for a variety of reasons – uh, and the Fed is deliquifying or sucking the liquidity out of the markets, particularly when it comes to M2, which again is a measure of all this currency and deposits and money markets and money uh, money market mutual funds. So then we have to ask ourselves, because there's more coming on this, what happens when M2 goes negative? So there were two false alarms over the past 30 years. The M2 versus the time um, savings uh, gap reversed to positive territory fairly quickly. However, when we see that the move lower enters negative territory, this is an indicator that the economy is already in a recession. Now, I know you're saying, what are you talking about? We're seeing decent numbers from, Corporate earnings. Okay, that's interesting. We're seeing that uh employment is still extremely low. That's really interesting. Why can we and how can we be in a recession at this point when everything looks so hunky-dory? Well, I'm just telling you what is going on as the signal from things like the inverted yield curve, which is a liquidity sucker, um, and what is happening with M2. Because recently there's been this incredible amount of talk about the the, I think parabolic drop to the downside in M2 money supply and the potential ramifications to the U.S. economy. In fact, I would go so far, <laughs> I th- I would go so far as saying that people have become quite unhinged. <laughs> I have seen people getting nuts about what is going on right now and near hysteria. When they're considering historical references, when the money supply shrank to such a degree, comparisons that they're showing are back to the 1800s when liquidity was pulled out and markets, you know, by the quote unquote Fed did things to result in a terrible recession and even depressions. So, this is what's going on. Now, the problem is that the Fed was started in 1913. So, you have to ask, okay, wait a second. If the M2 dropped so dramatically in the 18, uh, pick a date, 1830 or whatever the exact date is, 1893, 1870, the banking crisis, um, what did that have to do with the Fed? I don't think anything. So that was a big issue. But they did say that the M2 was somehow still calculable at that point, much different environment, of course, back then. Uh, Information share was much slower. Uh, The transmission of monetary uh, issues around the country were much different back then. But again, we have a very significant drop-off. I'm going to put a chart on the episode notes, episode number 814 over on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. The show notes will have this chart that goes back to the 1800s and it was done by, uh, who is this done by? Uh, venture, ReVenture Communications, uh, I think consulting, excuse me, reventure consulting. Um, so they go over this whole thing, and you see that the the money supply d- d- recently jumped up dramatically, and that was due to the the flush, the liquefication of markets during COVID. And this is historic. You know, it was a twenty percent increase over a very short period of time. Um, but now we're seeing this move lower, uh, drop into negative territory. We haven't seen that since when? Nineteen 19- uh, the Great Depression, I, well, maybe there was one in in the in the 1960s, dropped it ever so slightly. But, you know, where we are now is they're, they're comparing to the, the banking crisis of 1870 and the panic of 1893 and the depression of 1921 and the Great Depression in the 30s. And again, I, I question, you know, is there really historical reference for this if the Fed was only started in 1913 because of what went on during uh, these and was really there to regulate? And of course, we can't dismiss the idea that quantitative tightening has been, up until recently, draining money from the system. Higher rates have also been a a major headwind, right? And it's also, I think, probably important to consider the fact that there were these historical amounts that were poured into the markets through fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus in 2000 due to COVID. And some of that had to absolutely, under all circumstances, and I don't think anybody disagrees with this, reverse its course. And you have to wonder if we're just at a reversion to the mean right now, taking that money out of the system, getting back to normal. And if that is the case, could we say this time is different, which of course we know is the most dangerous four letters, this time is different, four words, excuse me, in the English language and for investors, right? This time is different is usually not the case. So therefore we have to start scratching our heads and say, is there something here? Is there something we need to really pay attention to with regard to the M2 money supply? I mean, because it does stand to reason that the amount of stimulus that was really pushed in had to come out. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. So the point here is that while the talk and the charts seem rather bleak, to say the least, and hysteria is facing many people that, who knows, maybe they're doing it just to get on TV or just to get an interview. It may not be as bad as they're predicting. It may not be that bad because it, it stands to reason that we had to reverse course from this extraordinary amount of liquidity. And while the M2 money supply is negative and has come down sharply, and we know is probably going to yield a recession coming soon, the fact is that I I think it's a slowdown in economic activity due to loss of liquidity is going to happen. The question is, are we going to go and start thinking about not a recession, but a depression? Another great financial calamity? I don't think so. There's nothing new here. And I think that we want to emphasize something right now. I think it's important. That the cycle is the cycle. That's the important thing. The cycle is the cycle. Say that with me. Say that with me. The cycle is the cycle. I heard you. The reason I say that and press that is that we see economic cycles that are pretty much standardized. And I know we started out talking about pattern recognition and how once you know a pattern, it doesn't happen. It somehow disappears. That's a different discussion. What I'm talking about here is the cyclical nature of from peak to trough, uh, from trough back to recovery, back to peak, back to probably overdoing it on the upside, coming down, coming down too hard, and then going through that trough again and all the misery and discomfort that comes with it. That's where we have to understand that it is pretty much standardized because that is based on a different circumstance. That is based on human emotion and what we do as people. That doesn't change. The idea the Fed could break the cycle is nonsense. We've always talked about that. They thought they could, and once they say that, you're like, holy crap, run for the hills. There is no breaking the general cycle. The only thing that may change is the length the time, the depth, uh, and the the general move from how long it's going to take from top to bottom, bottom to top, and how wide it is. Is it going to be a U? Is it going to be a W? Is it going to be a V? Is it going to be an L? Is it going to be a K? You know, all the numbers that we describe recoveries and and cycles. But generally, it's a simple uh, S-wave that we look at that goes up and down, right, that looks at Peak trough, peak trough, peak trough, and then something in between with some kind of distance in between the two. So whether or not the Fed could engineer a way out of a recession really is anyone's guess when it comes to how they are sucking so much liquidity out of the markets. And if you were asking me, there's no way they can do it. Why? You know why? Talked about it, I've fetched about it, I've told you about it, because they've never been able to reverse course and end up with a, how, what would you say, a smooth transition to the next phase of the economy from one cycle point to the next. They can't. They're afraid. They don't want to hurt anybody. They keep it too long. And then they get to the other side and they're like, oh my gosh, inflation or whatever it may be is a problem. They don't want to hurt anybody. You know, it's always about, I don't want to hurt anybody. But we don't want to hurt anybody. So what they do is they last too long in any given position, end up hurting people because of what they do. So now let's take some time And absorb a lesson for ourselves. Because if we consider what's going on and take it as a learned lesson, I think it could be very helpful. And I like to do this because sometimes, how would we describe this? One thing that happens can be perceived as another, but in reality is something else. Hmm? Uh... What? The idea that we are seeing these kinds of things and we have people that are sparking hysteria, that's nothing new, right? Both sides, right? The hysteria of you got to get in now, Bitcoin, or you're going to miss the train. It's taking off. You're never going to get on. The FOMO pushers, the idea that we are in a situation that it, it, it's, it's never, you're never going to get back on that train. Or... Oh my God, you better get off that train because it's going to crash and you are going to be mangled. Both sides capture the imagination of the carnival barkers, right? And there's a lot of headlines from companies that are telling us all sorts of things and people are taking this to to really odd uh, expectations. They're pushing this out saying, you know, well, you know, because of this, that's going to happen, and is it really? But the lesson I want to talk about is about this whole idea of expectations, right? And and we've seen a lot of companies recently cost-cutting. We've seen the Fed come out and talk about interest rate hikes, and the expectations oftentimes we think about are linear. Not only that, we start to put into our process about what's going on. But what I really want to focus now that we have kind of flushed out this idea of M2 is now to a degree on the companies. And I want to focus in on some of the things that are going on and what some people may hear and believe is actually happening, but maybe what others think is quite different. The headlines from companies about expense cut cutting and laying off employees, we've seen it all over the place, right? And that in itself can be taken what? As a negative. What do you think about that. Well, wait a minute, companies gotta cut. Wow, ooh, things aren't so good. Man, that look what they're doing there. They're gonna take one time, maybe one time or multiple time uh expense on this, a one-timer maybe in a big way for you know the 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 firings and layoffs and They're going to have to pay up on that deal, right? So that could be taken as a negative to the company and actually as we extend that out to the economy. Wow, look at all these people that are being laid off right now and what does that mean to the economy as a whole and how is that going to influence what we believe is the long-term proposition from an economy? Now let's take the economy first. We saw these big chunk of layoffs, right? 10,000, 20,000, 5% of the workforce, 18% of the workforce. We've seen all this happen. But it seems like nothing's showing up in the economy. Spending has been a little bit lighter, but still pretty good. Inflation is still up. People are willing to pay higher. Wage inflation is higher. The unemployment rate, what? Ticked down again? Initial claims? Not such a problem. Wow. How is this happening? that's That's the first issue, right? Number two, think about what happens here. We see some massive cost cutting. We could say even that could be negative also to a degree on the economy because when they cut costs, maybe cap x, their capital expenditures are also going to go down. So to a degree, some massive cost cutting was going on. And showing that the potential for a major slowdown is ahead of us because companies are telling us that. Companies, in fact, have, I, I would say, be, say, they've bent over backwards to appease investors and the markets. They really have. They've, hey, they have said, wait, wait, wait. If we're having a slowdown, all that excess hiring that we did over the last two years, We got to stop. And this is a big issue. So what did they do? They started to cut jobs. They started to say, hey, we got layoffs coming. And when did that really accelerate? Do you remember? Once a few companies, major companies started doing it and their stocks went up, there was a positive influence on their share price. That was it. Let's go and rip it. Rip that band-aid right off and tell tell everybody about announcements of rate uh, of, uh, of 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 um, of of our employment cuts and of of layoffs. Wow. And now we see the result. Here's where I'm getting to. This is the whole point. I want to encapsulate this now because we're talking about the economy, the idea that companies are being conservative, negative commentary, doing layoffs, cost cutting. We're talking about all these things, and we see the result. The quick move to cut expenses has the net earnings of companies or EPS looking much better than analysts thought. And I think we have to take a moment to say that we know that companies help, uh, what would you say, craft analysts' expectations, right? They're working with the companies, they're working with the competitors, they're looking at the landscape, but they're getting fed data from companies to provide what they believe is going to be the net result moving forward. And, oh, fantastic, amazing. The companies come out and beat that number that they pretty much fed to the analysts. So the quick move to cut expenses has really been very helpful. What we see is that there is actually... A silver lining to all this. So when we started looking at this, we thought, wow, okay, right? When we started talking about this today, about, well, all these job cuts, expense cutting, all this concern about the economy moving one direction is really a negative situation, which, by the way, it is. But initially, the first reaction after we see these massive cuts, look at what's gone on with Meta, with Facebook, right? major, major turnaround on their move to build out at any cost. Advertise were a little bit better as well, but when we look at where they were and where they are now, up about 100% from the lows or so, and the, the blowout numbers that they came in the last week, it was Thursday's market, they were 15% because advertising came back a bit and their expense cutting really took hold. They listened to the markets. Same thing we can see with Microsoft. Same thing we can see to a degree um, with Amazon. Great numbers. Amazon did come in uh, with a slightly uh, concerning note after hours. We'll talk about that in a minute. But bottom line here is that not always is what is seemingly apparent that is happening necessarily going to result in a very immediate um, result. So in other words, we have to change our expectations, right? Right. So so right now the cost cutting is very helpful as things are still pretty good. Revenues look like they're they're in decent shape, earning, you know, companies are beating estimates about 70% of the companies reporting in the S&P 500 are beating results. That's what they do every single quarter. So just throw that out right out the window. Who cares? It's not really necessarily about beating results It's where they were a year ago to where they are now. And there is a slowdown in earnings. There's no question about that. Even though we see revenues to a degree hit or miss a lot higher, and that's due to inflation and the higher cost of the goods. So they're getting almost the best of all worlds right now because there is a slowdown or disinflation, dare I say, in the cost factors of the materials that they use. They're still holding their prices up and at the same time cutting their expenses. Think about that from a recipe, from the ability for companies to do well. The problem is that may not last forever. And the expectations that go into the linear move of where we are going to be, that this will last forever, is where we're going to get into some problems. The concept of expectations unrealized results in disappointment. But first, before we do that, uh, I want to take another break and talk about um, earning you some money. Because Interactive Brokers Clients, we talked about this, I want you to know this, earn up to 4.33% on their uninvested, instantly available cash. In fact, you have to ask yourself, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Compare IBKR's ability to pay you, right, this 4.33%, we say, with your broker. IBKR's prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions them to pay you higher interest. We talked about Demonstrated security, financial straits, that's 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 also good. That's just one of the reasons that clients use interactive brokers to trade stocks, options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. And again, I keep on asking you to compare. Go to your broker, whoever they may be, who are paying you probably some of them probably pay only a half a percent on their money. And don't you act don't let you actually trade all this in one account. So when placing your money with a broker, you need to make sure your broker, of course, is secure and can endure. Through good and bad times, IBKR's strong capital position, conservative balance sheet, and automated risk controls are designed to protect IBKR and its clients from large trading losses. These prudent and conservative risk management uniquely um, it really, it really positions IBKR to pay you higher interest with demonstrated security and financial strength. I keep telling you that because I think it's really important. Of course, we know that rates are subject to change. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. Now, we left off just a moment ago, just a few seconds ago, with this idea of expectations. Expectations. I said, expectations, unrealized results in disappointment. I want to, I want to, tell you, nay, actually, I want to drill this into your brain because expectations are at the heart of market moves. It it, it lends itself, the concept, it's behavioral finance, of course, but it lends itself to the emotions of people that are dealing with something that's very near and dear to them, their money, your money, and a surprise factor. So in life, if everything goes along just swimmingly, you know, just everything is just going along as planned, and things are fun. We don't even notice anything, right? Just just making our way through the day. Everything's great. Everything is hunky dory. That's great. But if there is something that deviates, you know, we're walking in the park. everything's fine. All of a sudden, a frisbee goes right by our face. Like, whoa! Wait a moment. Wait, wait a second. It's startling. For a moment, we recover, we go down, right? We hear a dog barking out of nowhere and coming fast and furious up behind us. We stop, we look around, we deviate from our course. We know how this feels, right? We react to it, maybe even, you know, get upset or happy. Maybe it's something that's good. Maybe we're walking down the road and all of a sudden, a $100 bill is just sitting right in front of us. We pick it up. That's surprising. Changed expectations of what we thought was going to happen. So all dependent on what happens now very simplistic thought of that of course let's scooch over to the markets same thing happens and we we I think we need to understand how we react to it because what we need to really have in our playbook is you know that the sell side uh companies out there that are um you know that that are providing us with the analytics and with the information that we um, are, are dealing with on a regular basis. Of course, they're designed to come under a bit, not too much, because it's good for the house. They, they, they say, you know, hey, we think they're going to earn two cents when they may think there's three cents or whatever it is. Give a little bit of room for margin there, right? And they're also working with the info, as we mentioned earlier, they have Um, And some of it is actually supplied by the companies. We know that. So when Meta laid off a ton of people, we talked about that. Started slash expense, we talked about that. It was all good. Stocks started to to go even higher. Um, Even though not much changed with the outlook. So the expectation, the surprise factor there was really beneficial for the stock price. But they really got the message after investors just, you know, threw it out. So again, the expectations were initially that, hey, this is going to be bad for the economy, but it turned out actually being pretty good. And and I suspect also, but back to Meta for a second and why they did well, I suspect that Elon's Twitter is somehow benefiting Facebook with all the advertisers that probably pulled out and are looking for somewhere else to go. Um, this is why uh, when, when Meta reported this week, it was just so incredibly parabolic, gapping up to the last gap price when it was when? I uh, think it was February 22nd. Uh, February 22, when they came down so dramatically, which is still off a a long way from 2021. But, um, you know, it was obviously uh, the the, the fact is that they're still way up uh, from where they were on the bottom line. But expectations, disappointment, surprise, upside. This is the key to catching those crazy moves. Now, this, this is very difficult to do. But it explains a lot about what's happening, especially right now. What we've seen historically, from time to time, because it's 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 taking much longer to wring out all the excesses from the economy. People are still spending. They don't believe the Fed is going to really pump it up. They don't think that the numbers um, that is going to be here for the future is only going to get better as the Fed pauses. This you know, where the market should be versus where it is is sending a signal to the Fed. I think. In a much different way, though. I think that there is a thought process out there that the Fed is going to pause and actually start dropping interest rates later this year. When in fact, none of the data is really pointing to that. But even as the PCE came out on Friday, there was a thought that, well, it's not as bad as it was. No, it's not as bad as it was. It's still bad, though. So what do we see? Um, PCE came out, The, the um, this is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, the personal consumption expenditures. Came out at 0.3%, 0.3% month over month. It's still hot. In fact, that employment cost index that we saw also is still coming out hotter than expected. And if we stay in the good times as we are now and companies are able to you know do well with all these cuts, to their uh to their to their to their expenses and if in fact that all still resonates the same moving forward and there is nothing changing with the economy people are still spending and the employment is uh, condition is still very very strong you got to believe the FED is going to have to step up their game and I was also thinking about Amazon you know with this expectations discussion right because I think we have a first of all let's go back and put a pin in this uh, and, and tie it up very neatly with a nice, beautiful bow tie. But I think that the Fed's job is not done. That's the point. I think that that all the th- things that are happening that are so good, you know, PE ratio still in what, eighteen half 19 closing in on right now the S&P 500 is something worth considering. But I was thinking about Amazon, another expectation situation here that went both ways, right? After the bell on Thursday, they beat, they, the general guide was good, stock was up like, I think 7% after hours, on the heels of a 4% increase in the regular market on Thursday. Quickly moved up. During the conference call, though, things switched pretty quickly. There was concerns about growth over their cloud and the AWS. What? What do you say? Yeah, seriously. It was still good. But they were saying that, you know, it's not as much as it was the growth factor. So there's this big sell-off in the overnight and into the pre-market, reversed about 10% off of the high. Now, what does that tell us? Expectations, right? Expectations that everything is just fine. And then all of a sudden, that expectation changes. And we move it up because it was better than expected. Then all of a sudden, it changes because, oh, maybe it's not so good. But really, what does that tell us? I think, first of all, there's a lack of patience to get the whole story. Buy first, ask questions later. And this is a, if you think about it, and and you know, listeners of the show, you are smart. And you know that this is a holdout mentality from bull markets. Like we saw, for example, when stimulus was flying and people used unemployment checks to basically play the markets with their Robinhood accounts. You know what I'm talking about. This is a holdout from that. So don't be like that is the point. Suckers they are. Utilize a bit more discipline and patience. I think the whole point here that I'm trying to make when I talk about expectations and these numbers that are coming out on M2 and the commentary about how bad things are and where we're going to be in a depression, maybe we'll get there, okay? But, you know, right now, I think there's a lot of scare tactics being used to sell the book, if you know what I'm saying. Look at your expectations and align that with outcomes to course correct, and that little tip in itself could benefit you and your portfolio greatly. I'm going to say it again. Look inward at your expectations and align them with outcomes to course correct. In, 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 in basically, to make sure that you stay on the right side of the trade, and be patient. There's no reason to expect that you're just going to become wildly wealthy with a $250 trade, a $1,000 trade, a $5,000 trade overnight. Not going to happen. So expectations unrealized equals disappointment. You got to look inward at your expectations and align them with outcomes to course correct. Be patient. Be disciplined. That is the point and the summary right there of this episode. So I hope you take away some good points there, some psychology of the markets, understanding what's going on right now with the fed, the idea that things not always are what they seem to be and be able to better judge and make decisions according to all that input. Thank you for joining me this week and every week here we are in May. Uh, I expect that we're going to have some great guests coming up and, uh, Go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com, get in touch with us, talk to us, reach out. I really enjoy uh, the, the conversations. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition... The information presented is not intended to be used as the sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.